0: Welcome to Infinite Leaders Live, the podcast that shares real-life lessons from real-life people. We're incredibly fortunate to speak to loads of inspirational people from around the world and we're delighted you've chosen to tune in to listen, learn and share. My name's Lewis Keynes, and as usual, I'm joined by my pal, Alan Dunstan. How are you doing, Alan?
1: Yeah, thanks, Lewis. All good here. And once again, we're proud to wear our Tsunami products. Tsunami is the number one choice at sportswear. We're really excited by today's guest, and he'll certainly talk about the things you don't get taught at university or on any courses.
0: And as ever, we love your feedback, so please do get in touch. You can find us on Instagram, YouTube, and Twitter, and at theinfinitelearners.com. Be better educators, be better humans. Alan, let's dive in.
1: Yeah, get your pens and paper ready, guys. There's going to be some absolute gems of wisdom coming out at our show today. For the past 20 years, Darcy Lund has experienced more than 90 countries, given over 1,600 presentations. To over 140,000 people and work with leading development, environmental, social justice, and global education organizations and people. His self-initiated concept and organization, Teaspoons of Change, focuses on the personal choices, decisions, and actions that have a very positive impact on people and the planet. Darcy is often seen each year around the world facilitating youth empowerment programs, supporting global citizenship education and working with leading development organisations and projects, including UNICEF. In June 2018, he completed a Master's in Peace Studies in Tokyo, and he's currently the Group Head of Sustainability and Global Citizenship with the Dulwich Group of Schools. So, Darcy, great to have you on the show. Tell us about those teaspoons of change.
2: Fabulous. Thanks, uh, Lewis and Alan, for having me on. And Yeah, so, so teaspoons of change, for me was I'd, I'd just come out of working with UNICEF and Gates Foundation through polio eradication uh, in 2015 in, in South Sudan and Uganda and a couple other places. And the polio story is pretty remarkable. You know, polio has gone from 350,000 cases in 1988 to just 32 cases in 2018. And it's, it's bumped up just a, a little bit in the last couple of years with, with varying circumstances. But look, the way you eradicate polio is with two drops. So two drops of vaccine over and over and over again, billions of times over, and that's how we've almost eradicated polio from our world. And so what I took away from that is that our small but significant actions matter in the world. And so if we can just add up, you know, lots of people working together in their teaspoons of change, their small actions that have a positive impact, I believe that we can make a positive impact in the world. So in order to come up with that, um, that concept, I, I went for a walk. I walked 1,000 kilometres in Japan, which, uh, which gives you a long time to think. And, uh, and, yeah, and I came up with that concept of teaspoons of change because I really wanted to name those small actions that we feel are insignificant, give them a name, and also how they fit into a collective context like the, the UN Sustainable Development Goals. And 1,000 kilometres is a hell of a walk, Darcy, isn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah, it, I ended up getting shin splints and, and had to get on a bike and ride the last 1500. So, yeah, yeah, it was.
0: <laughs> Top effort. Tell us how you got involved with this in the first place. You mentioned a few things there through your work with UNICEF in polio in, in, in Africa. To rewind for us. Take us back to the start and tell us how you got involved with sustainability and with some of the projects that you're now taking on.
2: Yeah, well, I, I kind of always say that my education started the day I finished university. Um, I I went out to to go and climb mountains uh, in Central Asia and Kyrgyzstan and while I was there I um, did a spot of volunteering at a local university in the eastern part of Kyrgyzstan and and that's where I learned about the world so my peers who were other university teachers I just graduated as a a primary school Japanese teacher Um, I've still yet to never teach primary school Japanese because I buggered off overseas and started doing everything except that um, but but I saw that my peers, you know, as university, bright, university educated people, as, as English teachers, were getting paid $40 uh, a month. And, and so I learned a lot about resilience, resourcefulness, these sorts of things. And I, I just fell in love with volunteering and, and trying to work out how the world spins uh, in unequal but uh, different ways and, and what I might be able to do to, to, uh, to do that. So. I, uh, I did less mountain climbing and for the last 20 years have been been traveling pretty solid until a certain time around this time last year where, where the brakes were put on but um, I just kept on following my nose uh, my, my interests making sure that I didn't hate Mondays has, has kind of be, been a big mantra for me um, and doing what I really wanted to and 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 making sure that it's trying to put something positive into the world and, and have fun along the way um, and so that just led me from one thing to another to get involved in aid and development and education and yeah you know just just seeing what happens
0: i've got to ask what's behind the uh, making sure i don't hate mondays i understand the concept of it tell me some of the things you do um, uh, that you've done in your life to try and get to that place
2: yeah it's uh, and it's an accidental mantra that i came up with only a couple of years ago when i saw a, a picture on the internet saying there's nothing wrong with mondays it's your job that sucks and, uh, and when, I saw that, when I saw that picture, I realised for 20 years I hadn't hated Mondays. I thought, yeah, actually, that's, that's, that's a pretty good way to live. Um, and so I, I've actually given a TEDx talk uh, around that on you know, why I love waking up on Monday. And, and I found a passion. I found uh, a lifestyle of being a nomad and getting out in the world and learning things from various people. But, but also the, the big thing for me is just having that sense of purpose and, and trying to understand the world and, and be an effective global citizen, really, is what it comes down to. And not just saying it because it sounds fancy or it's written up on a wall, but actually genuinely thinking about what does it mean to be an active and effective global citizen? What can I, what can I do as one person?
1: Yeah. Do you, can you explain that a little bit more, Darcy? What is an effective global citizen? We, we see it plastered all over international schools. What does it
2: actually mean? So, so the step before we get to being an effective global citizen is, well, what the hell is a global citizen? And, and so for me, my favorite provocation is, are you a global citizen? And when we ask that question, you can't just answer off the IB curriculum. It has to be personal. Yeah. Oh yes. I am a global citizen. Are you a global citizen? Yeah, I am. Okay. Well, why, what, what makes you a global citizen? And then it's not the perfect answer. It's a personal answer. And so I love that as my starting point. I, you know, All the presentations I've given, that's the, the leading question I go with. And so I'm not prescriptive. I don't tell people, right, you have to travel, you've got to learn languages, you've got to blah, blah, blah. It's just knowing that for me personally, it's just knowing that I'm one person of many in the world and my actions have impacts. If I know well, that, then
0: yeah. Contextualize that for us. 90 countries. That's a, a hell of a lot. What would that be? Over 66% of the world, right?
2: Yeah, about half, according to the UN sovereign oh, okay. states. But, yeah, something like that. I've, I haven't quite cracked the half barrier, actually.
0: <laughs> so, oh, wow. So, so tell me what, what that means in terms of the countries that you've visited, the cultures that you've seen, and, and the sort of global citizens and the idea of that that you've come across over the years.
2: Yeah, well, it's funny. I, I mean, I think my global citizenship hasn't necessarily come from all those countries. I mean, that's helps, and it's been a bonus, um, but really it's that mindset and an attitude and habits to, to know that my actions matter. So if I don't use that plastic straw, then that's a teaspoon of change. That's the hard thing about change is that we can't see it. So the straw that I don't use is the thing that matters. So again, this is why I try and put these names on things and come up with quips and, and ideas to try and contextualize it. But for me personally, yeah, it's, It came from seeing how the world lives and breathes and and the inequalities in the world and and just trying to put my finger, like I I use this term that I borrowed from Richard Haynes, who's a a great futurist thinker, is um, effective acupuncture points. And so as one person, I can't go and save the whole world, but where will I put my little needle of, you know, my little acupuncture needle to at least just try and have something that has a, a nice flow and effect from that. And and for me it just happened to be giving presentations. I gave, you know, crappy, terrible PowerPoint presentations in the in the two thousands, walking or riding my bike. And then it just became a vocation and and stuck to it. And and if you do it for long enough, you end up giving sixteen hundred presentations to lots of people. So yeah.
0: I imagine they're not crappy PowerPoint ones anymore. And you're speaking to two teachers who've delivered many a crappy PowerPoint presentation in our career. I can assure you that? Exactly. We're
2: professionals at crappy PowerPoint presentations, but they do get better, I hope.
0: Tell me, I appreciate what you're saying, that you don't necessarily have to visit these countries to, to be able to appreciate the impact that you can make. And you can make a positive impact by doing one very deliberate act, if I'm understanding your acupuncture sort of analogy well. What did you learn from, from visiting those 90 countries? What sort of richness of experience did you have that allowed you to contextualise and, and obviously have a passion to do what you're doing?
2: Yeah, that's that's a great question because I, I grew up in rural South Australia, as you can maybe tell from my beautiful accent. Um, but, but I know. As a, a sports-loving kid, you know, dedicated to sports day and night, etc. So I, I grew up pretty conventionally. and And so when I stepped out into the world just all of those social norms or the ones that I had been brought up with completely got, got dissipated. Um, and, and so to be able to see people living in different ways was, that was my thirst. Like I love just seeing, you know, we do so many things which are similar. We all want to be loved. We all want to care about our parents. We all want to, you know, some of those universal things. Um, but there's, there's so much difference and diversity and exciting stuff in all of that as well. And so once once I had an eye for being in new places and meeting new people, uh, I just decided to never to never stop, you know, to pinch my skin and and get up and and go for another day. Um, but yeah, so what I had learned from that is just there are so many different ways to live in the world, and we don't have to, you know, our blinkers don't have to be on the one that we were brought up with. But actually, we can widen it out and say, well, there's no rules really in life on how I'm meant to to live. And, and so once I got those shackles off my shoulders, I was able to free it up a bit and, and live the way that I wanted to, as opposed to the way that I should.
1: Yeah. I love that. And obviously Lewis and I have both traveled a bit and we've lived overseas for a number of years now, but I, I came from uh, an area of Sheffield, where there's probably not many passports in, in the UK. You're the same in South Australia, but there are kids without passports that within the community. How can we bring global citizenship into those communities where they've got no aspiration to, to travel, they're in their community and that's it, that's it for them. What, what can we do in those areas?
2: Yeah, it's, and for me, I, I, I make sure I go and spend time in those communities because what they don't always have access and opportunity to a whole range of different exposure to different things. And for me, it's not, again, it's not about traveling overseas or learning languages, et cetera. It's it's about being a good person. I mean, before, when we were talking about being an active and effective global citizen, I mean, when I work with five-year-olds, it's like, what does it mean to be a good person? What are the things we might think about? How do we feel? What are the things we might say? And most importantly, what are the things that we do? And so as a young kid growing up in the country, in Australia or, or the UK or wherever, you know, we, we did participate. We did help out with sports on the weekend. Um, your neighbour, you know, their cow got loose in the paddock next to yours, so you, you worked together to go and put it in there. Like, that stuff for me is just as much a global citizen as putting, you know, vaccine drops in a kid's mouth because that's what we need is we all just have to pitch in our little teaspoons of change and, and all of that is commu- person by person, community by community, and help the world spin around in a, in a more equal and, and opportunistic way.
1: So it is more about the community. And I think sometimes when you talk about global citizenship, you get the words almost, they confuse the person. They think they have to be doing something and going with Oxfam in Ethiopia or going into Philippines and dealing with uh, typhoon victims. It's not about that, is it? It's about community.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Well, actually, the, the way that I like to break it down, particularly for students, is active citizenship, and community participation and if you're doing those things that means you're playing an active role you're being an active and effective global citizen whilst it not might not be off you know tottering around the world and i'm a bad example for that um but if you're being an active citizen in your community that's you're making a difference and that's 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 what we need in the world and that's what lots of people do
1: so how can we how
2: can we do that darcy
1: how can we provide structures for children to get involved in communities when they might not want to?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's, um, it's it's a cultural sort of thing that we need to set and not sort of mandating it or telling people what to do or guilt tripping or moral bashing. Like I'm really not into that that approach at all. And it was something that I probably used when I was a bit younger and, and feisty of getting annoyed at the world. And so what I've found is, is context is key. So if we know that our personal actions fit into a collective context of our family or our classroom or our uh, school or our town, country, and then you get onto these UN Sustainable Development Goals, then it makes the personal um, have so much context around it that you realise, okay, yeah, well, actually that straw that I don't use is probably not a bad idea. And if I'm one of those billion people in the world who uses a straw, then that's one less straw. So I, for me, context is a really important place to start without the moral bashing and the guilt trips around it.
0: How do we get that context to children? How do we allow children to understand the impact of not using that plastic straw, to, to use the same example as you?
2: Yeah, so, so there's lots of different ways. For me, there's lots of ways. I mean, the, one of the best things that help the straw Thing happen and reduce that place. It was the video of the straw that was stuck up a a, um, a turtle's nose. A turtle's nose. Um, that's that's one way. <laughs> but also, it's again. I, I think it's not being heavy-handed and saying you have to do this and you should do that. And da, da, da. it's allowing students to to explore. And so for me, provocations uh, are really important. And so for, for me, global citizenship and sustainability is a, is a lens. In fact, a dual lens. So any time of pretty much any class, a PE, music, science, whatever it is, I should be able to at least say, well, what does this look like, this topic, this, this um, thing that we're learning? What does this look like in a collective context? If everyone in the world did that, what would that look like? And then the flip side of that is, well, if we're looking at this topic or issue, what does that look like to you as one individual? And what, what would a good choice, a good decision or a good action look like um, at a personal level? And so I I like to, again, it's not about making sure you've got sustainability as a subject and it's about just throwing in those little, you know, touching points for us to think about expanding our our vision of what we're doing and retracting it back into that personal aspect as well. And
0: that personal aspect, I think is really important there. And I'm really glad you touched on that just from that first point you made around the turtle. Excuse me. The turtle being affected by one single straw is, one anecdotal story, fluke, anomaly. It could be, of course. We know it's not, but it could be. But it's that connection and that personal level that will bring it home for a child or an adult that sees something else suffering as a result of its actions. Can you speak to that a little bit and how, as a a global citizen, we want to try and prevent that?
2: Yeah, and and for some people, it's that that visual. For some people, it's statistics. For some people, it's a story story. Uh, for others it could be you know related to their culture or their family so so for me it's exposure to not necessarily making sure you have heaps of content and have to be keep on throwing it out there Um, but again just throwing that lens into the ordinary and everyday. and for me that's like sustainability and global citizenship when you do it front on can be really effective and we probably should learn a bit more about the global goals and and do some lessons and those sorts of things that's great but for me it's also the saturation and touching points around that where it can pop up in unusual places so if we're doing i do this a lot with um with sports and pe is if we're playing a game of basketball where did the basketball come from what's it made from who made it um what about the uniforms is this you know is this a tsunami shirt and it's made from plastic bottles. Hanging. What the hell? How does that work? Who are the people that put it together? Where do they? You know, have you heard, have we heard of circular economies? Are we wearing something that a child's made that will never go to school? We shouldn't be doing that if we're a learning PE at a school. So, and again, it's it's not the moral bashing stuff. It's just the it's just the quizzing and the way to try and expand our brains so we don't have to travel overseas, but we do need to travel in our brains to open those layers up.
0: they're the acupuncture points that you talk about, aren't they? The fact that as a child, well, I'm not going to use that straw because I saw the picture of the turtle and that's my own decision and I'm helping. I'm not going to buy that brand of sportswear because this is what I've seen and I've found out and I've researched. I'm not going to play with that kind of ball because that's not fair because I know where it's come from. Are they the things that you're talking about as those small actions that are really going to add up and and make the changes?
2: Uh, They they can be, Um, but I I do do like the sort of student – discovery mode of things as well just questioning stuff Um, so it doesn't always have to come from us as as educators or or providing the content but i think providing the culture around questioning you know do my a do my actions matter in the world and how can i think about that and then b what what impact do my actions have and and so this is where i use lots of little tools and things like help versus harm so what are the things that I do that have that add a positive impact in the world? Like helps, we might call those. And what are the things that I do that add harms into the world? And that's okay. Like we're all going to add harms, especially international school students and teachers. We fly on planes usually uh, quite a lot. But, but it's then that balance of like how do we maximise our help and minimise our harm as much as possible? And so what, what I want students and teachers to think about is, well, you know, what do those good choices, decisions and actions look like? And how can I do more of them and more often and just start at that level rather than having to be the guru that never uses a plastic straw or, you know, lives off three things in the world that that doesn't get us anywhere. Perfectionism in global citizenship is terrible. Yeah. it's he, just resonated completely with me with that Darcy when my daughter
1: we, we went to Borneo and we saw the we saw the orangutans there and, and the palm oil plantations that have sort of took over the, the beautiful jungle that's there. And she made a distinct decision then to, to not have any products that involve palm oil. And then, obviously, when she got in and realised she couldn't have certain <laughs> peanut products and other things that contain palm oil, that then caused a moral dilemma, which was brilliant because it provoked that... Exactly what you've just talked about, that help and that harm and that do my actions matter and the impact of their actions. And and it's just so good. Um, Tell us a little bit then about how you go across your Dulwich group of schools and how you then use that role to really help bring across that message.
2: Yeah, and I think you, you raise a good point that I'll just quickly chime in on is, and we don't want our, our younger students in particular, you know, being freaked out when they see their parent using a piece of plastic or whatever. Um, and so I like that help versus harm is that you know, we can't be perfect, but let's try and do net positive gain as much as we can. And so take the pressure off the kids so that they're not going to flip out when they see a plastic straw, um, but reminding them, yeah, we do what we can when we can, as often as possible. Um, and so, so, yeah, so then building upon that is the, yeah, is the idea that teaspoons of change and these, these small actions multiplied by lots of people can and will create positive change. And, and so for me, that's, that's really important that it's, it's hard to contextualise sometimes our personal actions, but it's also something that we can provocate and, and try and remind ourselves of, um, you know, when it's appropriate. Uh, and I, I'm not sure if I quite got on to the second part of your question, if you can remind me.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it's just reminders of, uh, of the things that you're doing at the Dulwich schools oh. to really support those, those aims and those, those ideas that you're putting across.
2: Cool. Sorry. Yes. Uh, so I was really lucky last year when I was still working with Teaspoons of Change, uh, I had the wonderful opportunity. So Dulwich has a group of uh, 12 schools nine of them in china uh some of them are chinese schools bilingual chinese schools and, and a whole bunch of others um and so i had the opportunity to go and work as a global citizen in residence in each of the schools for about two weeks um COVID got in the way of that and i missed out on three but i did go to nine of those 12 schools and it's and so i'm not going in there with a big agenda and you know putting heaps of extra work on teachers plates that are already full what I hope to do is is add these lenses so it can add value and enhance what they're already doing. And so some simple things that we would do is put up a set of global goals or the good life goals, which are a a sort of a friendly adaptation of the global goals. So maybe check out the good life goals. Um, And so you put them up in your classroom. And if you're doing a topic at some stage, you might look at, hey, you know, are there any of these goals that fit into something that we're talking about today? Or the students will start to do that when they get used to doing that. Or you might throw a bit of a teaspoons of change display board up in the corner and think about well in this topic what would be our teaspoons of change if we're looking at you know in, in year one we worked on bees so okay I'm I'm probably not going to be a a a, a, a beekeeper uh, tomorrow but what what you know choices can I take as a five year old in Shanghai that helps support bees <laughs> you know? but actually digging into that and, and working out what you can do as opposed to you know trying to be that perfect moral high ground person so yeah so it's great to have been across that now i have the role as a um the group head of sustainability and global citizenship Uh, i'm stuck in south australia because of covid but what i would be doing is sitting down with teachers and and not you know doing the big presentations etc but sitting down with almost individually so that you can hear what are they doing and then just share these ideas and and for us to move forward on that and then providing the ecosystem around that as a as a group of schools, where we look at sustainability and global citizenship as not just something that we learn, but something that we live, and and then how that might manifest itself and, and have those kind of conversations.
0: So how, how does that link then, Darcy, to this idea of uh, having a sort of net positive life? I really like that idea of, of making your life net positive, whether it's sustainability, I, I think it's also directly transferable to your diet or relationships or the progress that you're making as a person or a professional. I think that's really nice. I'll take that away personally. But that net positive idea, how do you translate that to teachers? How do you translate that and make that real to the children? I know you've talked about these acupuncture points and doing things that the children are in control of and making those tiny sort of changes. How do you measure or see the impact of that?
2: Yeah, it's a great question. And and I suppose, first of all, it's just imagery. So I do actually have a set of scales that I throw up on, on my crappy PowerPoints <laughs> that um, that sort of, that do show that and actually get the students or teachers to list down, you know, depending on your topic or what you might be focusing on, what are the, the helps that we're already doing and try and recognise those. Because I, I think everyone sort of thinks they're starting from scratch when you're trying to do global citizenship and sustainability. But let's recognise what we're already doing. Um, and then let's recognise what maybe what we're not doing or we're doing that is harmful. And again, it comes back to trying to maximise those helps and minimise those harms. So the visual representation of that is, is quite useful, but also what it does is it helps you quantify and qualify. You know, not, not all teaspoons of change are equal. So reducing, you know, having a bit more of a um, plant-based diet is probably going to be bigger than, than reducing a plastic straw. It doesn't mean that we don't use the plastic straw it's then we start to get into the complexity kind of the 201 version of global citizenship of where we're looking at the depth and the impact of our teaspoons of change so i think the help versus harm thing's a great place to start but a terrible place to stop and and trying to build upon these concepts and ideas as we go along
0: you touched on it just there about aeroplanes um... And you, you touched on it earlier. Sorry, you touched on it just there about diet, and you touched on earlier aeroplanes. And I know Harari, the author of Sapiens and a few other incredible books, talks a lot about those being the biggest impacts upon climate change and upon sustainability. Can you talk to us about that a little bit and what your, maybe your personal opinion is on diets and and aeroplanes as such? I know aeroplanes are pretty much out of the question for the vast majority of us. Anyway, that's massively affecting our diet as is this lockdown situation. But can you speak to that for a few minutes?
2: Yeah. And, and, you know, this is hard for me to speak to because it's the, the aeroplane in the room for me, you know, I, (laughs) I, I live in a self-sufficient tiny house. Unfortunately, tonight I'm at my mum's place because it's like 38 degrees and it, it does get too hot in there. But usually I'm, you know, here in South Australia, I've got a little tiny house that's off the grid built with you know, as a community group and solar and rainwater capture and compost oil, all that kind of stuff. But I fly on planes. And so my my carbon footprint is is pretty huge compared to my mother, for example, who who has a car, like I don't have a car, and she lives in a normal house, but she doesn't fly internationally, you know, all around the world all the time. But so for me, again, I come back to actually help versus harm. If I'm getting on that plane to go and have conversations around sustainability, teaspoons of change, global citizenship, da, 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 um, you know, it's, it's hard to quantify exactly, but hopefully I'm doing it so that these conversations have a net positive impact. It's pretty rare that I'll get on a plane just for a jolly to, to go somewhere because I know that, that is, that's quite a heavy harm and I'm going to have to counterbalance that in some way. Um, and it's not perfect science and we do what we can and I certainly fly less and I offset my carbon footprint and da-da-da. But, um, but, yeah, it's sort of at the end of the day, I do have to think about, well, what are, the, what are the more significant choices, decisions and actions I can take and just do the research and find out, you know, draw down it's for me is the number one place to go for looking at actions that help mitigate climate change and there's
0: because your so sort of there's your mouth. there's your sort of palm oil um, moral dilemma like uh, alan's alan's daughter has then isn't it and i i really like how you speak so candidly around the fact that you know you're not perfect you, you really want sustainability to be on people's agenda but it, it isn't about trying to be a perfect citizen and and live and breathe everything you're doing without fault and then point the finger that people are. Because maybe maybe I'm I'm, I'm making assumptions or generalising, but sometimes around sustainability, there is a sort of preciousness of pointing the finger and of saying, well, you're not allowed to do that. That's bad for the environment. You shouldn't be doing this. Do do you find that as well?
2: And and actually, the funny thing for me is um, I prefer to stay with hosts rather than hotels when I go and visit schools, which sort of freaks some people out um but then if i do go and stay with hosts they're like super conscious of like i've got you know there's a water bottle in the fridge and it's like it's okay i'm not i'm not the plastic police i'm not gonna like slap you in the face for using a plastic water bottle everything's vegan yeah and then and so you know i and i'm not gonna be captain perfect god I, i know that much like uh, I haven't used a, a plastic bottle for eight years. And that's, that's been like, I've just somehow managed to form a, a thing around that. And, and I have all these little quirky things that I try and do as often as possible, but I don't want to be, I don't want to be judged. So I'm not going to judge you, but collectively. And, and this is the thing is we don't have to wear climate change on our individual shoulders because we, we cannot, we cannot um, combat climate change by ourselves as an individual. But what we can do is understand that collectively, if we make good choices, decisions and actions as much as possible, that will have a net positive impact. So let's not focus on the, the moral dilemmas or the piece of plastic that you, you know, your sister-in-law served you or whatever it is. Um, you know, let's focus on the bigger picture of those, those sort of net gains that we try and make as much as possible.
1: I, I think coming back to that, Darcy, I mean, I know your role with Dulwich. You must have an impact then on uniform, on lighting, on, on all the different things that equal sustainability in those schools. Now, at this current time, there's a lot of cutbacks happening. There's a lot of teachers getting made redundant. What's your feelings about how you then have sustainability within these schools, but it might cost more, thus equaling redundancies, the sustainability. Do you get where I'm coming from?
2: Yeah, and and, and I suppose for me, it's um, we do what we can when we can. Um, it's, there, there might not be one agenda that's perfect at that time, but what I really like is intention. And I think intention setting is is really useful. And so I kind of use another catchphrase, attention to intention. And so if we're paying attention to the intentions that we're making in our ambitions, then that might not reach fruition today but the conversation that we're having will help move the ball forward and so a good example especially with students who want solar panels or you know the ones who are just like right let's get out and change the world and it's like that's cool but i have a concept called teaspoons of time is <laughs> that The the way that we we create change isn't in that instant or when we just ask someone, Um, it's a longer process of conversations, building up information and data and working through processes. And, And every rejection is still a step forward because if we're not asking the question, then the answer is always no. And so if we ask the question, even if the answer is no, then someone's had to think about it somewhere. So, so in the climate of today, like you are saying, and there, there could be cutbacks and those sorts of things, it might not be the time to, to push the button full throttle, um, but we have to set intentions and not just... Like, and, and so actually another quick that I use is, is making sure good intentions match good outcomes. And that's really hard to do, but it's, it's good to have that, that lens on those intentions, set the intentions, have the lens on them, and at some stage, if, we, if you're not being accountable to those intentions, then you kind of are taking the piss of saying it or putting it up on your wall or whatever. So, you know, it can't just be something that we do or want to do, it has to be a part of who we are,
0: that, that identity piece. And doing things in the right way.
2: As much as possible.
0: Yeah. there's a friend of ours, a mutual friend of all of ours, um, Andrew Chambers at Tsunami. Um, and he, he has a, a great one that he's, he's chatted to us about a lot of the time. Mainly when we're trying to demand kit really quickly, and we want <laughs> it, and, and and we want it really cheap. And he says, "Listen, he says, he says, I'll do you a deal. You can have cheap, fast, and good, but you can only have two of those three things at any one time. Which two do you want me to do for you?"
2: Yeah, exactly. And 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 my, my feeling, sorry to sort of cut you off there, was um. Uh, is that yeah if, if we start to make those decisions then they're not uh the the they then sorry they become the normal way of seeing and doing things and that that's what i trying to do is create those social constructs so that you know trying to buy something cheap and fast just isn't isn't a viable option because we can't do that because we're a school and we don't want to be dressing our kids in clothing made by kids so yeah so at some stage we do have to set those intentions set the bar and make sure that we're feeding into them.
1: And how important Darcy there is, is getting parent buy-in because the kids will buy in because they've grown up in that, but the parents putting their hand in their pocket when they're getting charged, I don't know, 50 US dollars for a, for a PE, PE shirt. And they think, well, I can get that for 30 US dollars. And it's from child labor. Sometimes the business side of that, that parent will want the cheaper product. How do we, how do we engage those guys?
2: yeah and it's this isn't perfect and it's easy to say but um but as context again is that we have to build narratives around this and making sure that the reason we're doing this and the reason you have to fork out extra money is because this is a part of who we are we yeah. we 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 can't like this is a part of our identity and our culture our dna and and so if we're not doing this then then what precedent are we setting for our kids and we want to be supporting good people doing good things and so this isn't just like 20 you know, quiet, extra or whatever it is, this is an investment in making sure there are good systems and structures that we're honouring, that we want our kids to honour and, you know, go into the world and be a part of that. So, yeah, but, yeah. you know, that, but it's still, at the end of the day, it's still 20 bucks extra. So you have to kind of have that conversation and, and try and do your best around it. So, yeah.
1: And you're right, it comes back to that vision. If, if you probably look on every vision of top international schools across the world it will mention the sustainability word and if you're living and breathing it that's fantastic if you're going around and then choosing a cheaper product or one that's been in child labor you're not actually living by that are you
2: no exactly and and it's uh making sure that those good intentions match good outcomes and and that that value proposition so the reason that we want to whether we would want to partner with a tsunami and an ethical group is because they share our values yeah. rather um, than this is the cheapest person that we're going to go with yeah. and
0: those yeah. values and the way you do things are so important aren't they um Darcy we we're just about to we're going to start to wrap it up and move you into sort of our quick fire questions I'm conscious just before we do that and um, is there any advice other than the sort obviously you've gone through a lot of concepts through what you have talked about so far with the acupuncture points and and the net positives there they're two really cool takeaways is there anything that's really practical that our listeners can do now or tomorrow to start to make some kind of difference
2: yeah I, and I, I think for me, it's those two lenses of the individual and the collective. And, and so this is why I love the sustainable development goals. I mean, I, they're, they're a little bit neo-colonial, neo-liberal, and they're not ideal, but, they're, but they are agreed upon by all of our countries in the world. Uh, they exist. They're a pretty good blueprint. So I think if we can familiar ourselves with the global goals, and there's 17 there and they're a bit daunting, but I, but I think if we know that that collective context exists and we can bring that into our everyday life, that, that's where I like the SDGs and the global goals is that, that they do provide a framework for our individual actions to fit into a collective context. So, so I, yeah, so I, I think the more familiar we become with that that grand uh, collective context, then I just think it just adds more to our individual choices, decisions and actions. Um, and hopefully, yeah you know, without, I've said it a few times, without the moral bashing and the guilt trip, but trying to work out what can we do and, and how often can we do it. Good stuff, great
1: things. So we'll crack on with our quick fire questions. This is this is my favourite one, Darcy. You're going out for a meal. Uh, what three leaders, dead or alive, would you like to go out and share that meal with?
2: <laughs> uh, so my, one of my favourite mentors is a musician who's still alive. His name is Michael Franti uh, from Spearhead, and he's kind of provided like the soundtrack for my life. Uh, the earlier days when we were angry and you know bring down the system. To to now of just like, let's hug people and well, maybe not in COVID times, but uh, you know, <laughs> let's share, share the love around and and be nice and be happy. You know, what does that look like? So so Michael Franti uh, is is one that comes to mind for sure. Um Lema Bowie, who I, I got to work with, she's a Nobel Peace Laureate from Liberia and is just has the best moral compass of of anyone I've ever met and and is out there in the world and, and just projects this wonderful energy of, of trying to make good choices, decisions and decisions and actions. So, so check out Lema Bowie. She's, she's uh, fantastic. And a third. Any relation to One. David Bowie? <laughs> no, and, and her name is spelled very different. So if you're trying to look up Lema Bowie uh, and I'm a terrible spell, it starts with a, her last name Bowie starts with a G. So. Oh. Good, good luck with that one.
0: <laughs> yeah, oh, sure. My ignorance there, I would have never found her. <laughs>
2: uh, number three, oh, look, I just think I'd still have too much sports bogan in me. It would be like a mountaineer or a, a professional cricketer. Yeah, I'd have to go. I'd have to go for sports. <laughs> yeah, there's a
1: there's a a great guy on there, the the high performance podcast with Jake Humphrey and, and Damien Hughes who's climbed. 14 of the highest peaks. Yeah. He's, done it in, he's done it in seven months and not seven years. It's like incredible. Nims is called. He was a is a Gurkha, British Army Gurkha from Nepal. And it, it's worth, his book is super, by the way, amazing, inspirational book, particularly for mountaineers like yourself.
2: Well, I'll, br- I'll bring him to dinner. as my third guest.
0: Perfect. Oh, brilliant. I'll put it down. <laughs> <laughs> if... Um... If you could broadcast a message to everybody in the world, Darcy, and, and, and share one, one sentence or one short statement, what would you say?
2: Well, I've, I've already said it, but I'll say it again. Small actions multiplied by lots of people equals big change. And and I suppose on a personal front, um, the, the kind of waking up on Monday idea is that we can't have everything in the world Um Oh, I've buggered it up now. <laughs> we sorry, we can have everything in the world as long as we don't want everything.
1: Oh, I like get it. So, like it.
2: That's Love one that. of my favorites.
1: Really nice. And then the, the last one, Darcy, we'll we'll finish on this one. Tell us about what your real core values are. What,
2: what defines you? Um yeah, I, values I always struggle with a bit more than virtues. I kind of like virtues, but um, so for now me, virtues, okay, so, so virtues for me is sort of the lived out part of, of values. And I, I, I don't know, I suppose my, my values and virtues are around um, humanity and humility So I I think that a combination of humility and humanity for me has worked beautifully. So pretend that I don't know anything about the world or I don't have to pretend too hard to do that. (laughs) Have the humility so I can listen and and have reciprocity with other people and then share, you know, connect with that that person on a humanitarian level and that provides a lot of gold in my life. That's
0: really cool really nice another another mantra to take away to live to there's a there's a few of those through this there are uh, there's lots of different takeaways for our listeners and and certainly some that i know i'll take away and just before we finish darcy can you tell us where our listeners can learn more about you or or share some of the work or some of the social media handles you have
2: sure i mean on a teaspoon to change front that's all pretty self-explanatory the the websites okay i mean i'm not giving teaspoons of change presentations around the world to, to schools at the moment. Um, I actually do have a job, uh, a real job <laughs> at the moment. Um, but yeah, you'll find teaspoons of change on, on Facebook, Twitter. I'm a bit slack uh, LinkedIn um, just through my name, Darcy Lund. Um, I'm usually putting up some content up there. So people might want to check that out. And then, and then with Dulwich we're sort of still building a whole bunch of stuff, but but we're making, we're, we're planning on some pretty big waves uh, in the sustainability and global citizenship space uh, at Dulwich. So so keep an eye on, on the, the Dulwich LinkedIn pages as well over Again, time.
0: We will do. And we wish you the best of luck on that journey, Darcy.
2: Thanks, gentlemen. It's been been fabulous to spend an evening uh, with you. So, uh, yeah, wishing the best to all of you and your listeners.
0: Top man. Guys, uh, a big thank you to Darcy Lunn, And you know that you can find more from us at theinfinitelearners.com. We're also on YouTube, IGTV and Twitter. Uh, Give us a search, click like, subscribe, all those gimmicky things that you can do, anything and everything to try and get um, our message out and to share some of the inspirational stories that our guests are sharing with us, such as Darcy's today. Really enjoyed our time together, Darcy. Thank you. um, And we'll see everybody again soon. Bye-bye.